This is Bane, and you're listening to Superhero Stuff You Should Know, when this episode is ashes, then you have my permission to die. Welcome to Superhero Stuff You Should Know, presented by Superhouse Podcast. This is Ben, the man who knows too much about Batman, and I'm here with... Andrew, what's going on, everybody? Ah. And Wolfie, unfortunately, cannot join us, but that doesn't mean that there's only two of us. We have a special guest today uh, from, oh, basically, Instagram, one of our favorite artists there. Zachary Jackson Brown is here with us. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for coming on, dude. Your stuff's cool, man. Thank you. <laughs> I think uh, oh, I think I had first seen it a few months back, either on uh, just the Explore page on Instagram or so. Uh, and then later on, I, we were getting these, uh, I was noticing we were getting likes from this one account called Zach- Zachary Jackson Brown Art, and I was just like, "Oh, this real guy really likes uh, Superhouse Podcast." And then I clicked on the page, and then I realized, "Oh, it's you! It's this guy! I've seen his stuff. This is amazing." <laughs> so, uh, obviously, of course, we had to have you on, and I, I've shared out some of your stuff as well, such as the the Conrad Veidt Joker is one of my favorites uh, on there. But uh, just uh, just to get our listeners to be more familiar with you, uh, you're at Zachary Jackson Brown Art on Instagram. Uh, what sort of led you to start doing a lot of these characters, not just combo characters, but you got a lot of characters from horror movies and pop culture in there? Uh, I've been drawing forever. Um, I don't really remember a time that I wasn't drawing anything. Uh, my parents still have some like legal pads from when I was a kid uh, from their office and stuff that I would draw on. And the very first thing I drew that I can remember was Batman. Uh, and that was just from like the Tim Burton movie, um, I was born in 1989, and my parents had the VHS, and I know I had that, and Hook, and Beetlejuice just on repeat all the time when I was a kid. Nice. So those were the things that I drew nice. all the time. Nice, man. Awesome. You're the youngest one on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I've got one year over you, and that's it. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I, f- I always forget you're a little bit younger than us, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, for the aspiring artists out there, Zach, uh, could you let us in on your process a little bit? Seems like, to me, you it looks like color pencil, but you probably do this digitally? Uh, most of the stuff you see that's by hand is uh, done with Prismacolor markers. They're, okay. Uh, yeah, they're called Prismacolor Premier Dual Tips. One end is like a brush almost, and the other end okay. is like a little, a little like fine tip marker, and then... I'll go over that and do details with color pencil and uh, I have a couple different white gel pens that are different sizes. So I'll use that to do details or, uh, or highlights on the figures. And then any t-shirt designs you see, those are digital. Okay. And that's basically Photoshop illustrator. Yes. Photoshop. Okay. Nice. Awesome. Um, so as an artist, who are some of your inspirations, maybe not just in comic book art, but uh, artists in general. Uh, definitely Drew Struzan. Uh, he's Ooh, a really yeah, big yeah. movie poster artist. Yeah, I grew up just looking at his stuff on the VHS covers, and then once I learned who he was, 
I've just been a huge fan of his as far as his um his mark making and his ability to capture likenesses. But I feel like as far as comic books go, probably Alex Ross yeah. and mm, uh, yeah. Bruce Tim, Tim Sale. Those two guys are there's so much a part of my childhood. I uh they're nothing like my style now, but I most of the comics that I enjoy are the ones that I collect are work of theirs or they're related to the animated series in some way for Bruce Tim. So that I love, you know, just for their style. But Alex Ross, I think, is just a huge influence on me as far as his ability to uh to kind of give a sense of realism to the comic book characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's basically some of the greatest comic book art ever, uh, especially on Kingdom Come. That's still one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, even that and the uh, uh, Batman Black and White, like the kind of like Joker origin story or case study. I think oh, Paul yeah. Dini wrote it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. And just even, you know, in Black and White, everything's so amazing to look at. Yeah, some of the best Batman stories are in there. Uh, but yeah, case studies <laughs> probably my favorite uh, Black and White story in there as well so uh good taste uh and then speaking of good taste you are also a super house fan so uh i brought up how uh we kind of discovered uh your page how did you discover super house god i don't even know i um i think it was on the explore page but it was kind of an i think you were advertising a deep dive you were doing or some kind of exploration into the Joker's origins. And it was showing, uh, you had put up all these different origins of the Joker. Most of them I was familiar with, but there was one or two that were kind of obscure. And I was intrigued by that. So I, I looked you guys up on iTunes and then I started to listen to the deep dives, which are my favorite, like the, for all the Burton movies. And then your, uh, your interview with the, uh, the writers for Batman forever. And, I love hearing about all that stuff as as far as the process of movies and, you know, things that didn't happen is just as cool to me as the stuff that is on screen. I'm still fascinated by it, even though we already recorded those episodes. There's still some stuff that I'm finding <laughs> out all the time as we, as we uh, on the date of this recording, uh, I had recently found out, and we didn't put that in the episode because I didn't know about it at the time, but uh, apparently Tim Burton's first choice for the Joker, as he told uh, Robert Wool, who played Alexander Knox, his first choice was actually John Glover who went on to voice the Riddler in Batman the Animated Series, and then he was Lionel Luthor, and he was Dr. Jason Woodrow in Batman and Robin, and then recently he was uh, Savannah's father in Shazam. Uh, this whole history of different DC characters or villainous characters, uh, but he could have been uh, the Joker if they let Burton have his way, but obviously nothing can compare to the stardom of Jack Nicholson at the time. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, Michael Uslan picked up a newspaper and drew the Joker on his like a The Shining mm-hmm. uh, ad in uh, in a newspaper or something like that. I think that's kind of how he thought of that. But uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows what, really what what really happened? You know? Yeah, I mean, he did uh, put that in the Boy Who Loved Batman in the book, which is interesting yeah. because just to follow our usual Bob Kane thread. But for years, I had heard that Bob Kane had submitted a mock up of. <laughs> Jack from The Shining. No, oh, really? Okay. So I don't know if he sent a separate one or if he just claimed he did it when it actually was Michael Uslan the whole time. <laughs> I think I did it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did it. <laughs> <laughs> 
by the way, dude, you look, you seem to, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you seem to be very much into Batman forever. Correct. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome, man. What is it about Batman forever that, that draws you so much? Uh, it's the very first one that I saw in a movie theater. Um, I think I was six or seven at the time. And I loved Jim Carrey at the time. It was like, I had just seen the mask and, you know, Ace Ventura. So when I saw that he was going to be the Riddler, I was just like super, super excited. It was kind of, I don't know. It was kind of like, um, the same excitement I had for Jet Nicholson, this kind of like zany, colorful character. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just, a. I like the the energy of it. I know it gets a bad rap as far as being lumped in with Batman and Robin, which I still enjoy that one too for different reasons. But um, I don't know. I kind of like the mixture between. It, it still has this kind of foot in uh, in kind of Burton verse style, but also bringing in kind of like bright, vibrant, kind of zany ideas. So I don't know. I've just I've always been really into it. It's one of my favorite ones to watch. It's the only Batman movie that uh, takes place at Halloween, which mm. I think is always kind of cool. So it's far. True. Yeah. Yes. So, so far. far. Mm, yes. So far. But, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, you're no, right. It is. There's a lot to love about it. There's a lot that's underrated about it. As I mean, we did a four part deep dive into it. So you know how we feel about it as well. <laughs> yeah, That was originally going to be just two. And they were like, oh, we have more to say. We Let's have a lot. Tim <laughs> was like, I got a lot to say about the book. So uh, <laughs> I was like, all right, sounds great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we've, we've always kind of championed Batman forever. It's not perfect. It's not, it's not the Nolan trilogy for sure, but it has its own charm. It's not Matt. It's not as, you know, Batman Robin is what it is, but you know, Batman Forever's not bad. And if, and if they would have kept that fucking, you know, original arc with, with the going into the Batcave and the amnesia and all that, that we cover in the that Ben covers in in the deep dive, you know that would have that would have fucking gone toe to toe with the best of them, man. You know that would have mm-hmm. been really good. Yeah, it's so so vibrant too. All the colors are great. Like I don't know, man. People yeah, people have been shitting on that movie for so long. You know that probably Zach and 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 it's it's not that bad, man. Come on. <laughs> no, I know. I don't know when the love. shift happened. <laughs> like when I was a kid, everybody was super into it, and obviously it was successful at the time. And I'd, I'm not sure when the shift happened. I guess it was after Batman and Robin that everybody was like, oh, all these movies are silly. Yeah. We're in a, yeah, we're in a so. shift back now, too. It's not just us where people like, like you, like Batman and Robin, it has its own charm as well. And, I, you know, I think the hate for those for three and four are is sort of going away, and the acceptance for all kinds of different Batman takes is... We've been saying this for a while on, on Super House and Superhero stuff, you should know. But, uh, but um, yeah, it's interesting to see more and more bat acceptance in the world. More and more bat diversity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you can actually appreciate uh, the Schumacher stuff online and not get crucified on it by other fans yeah. on it. So there's yeah, definitely exactly. a shift. I just found out today, actually, this is a little bit off topic, but on, on Batman Forever, but the line I kept saying in the, in the script Deep Dive, where Bruce says... Uh, I thought I became Batman to fight crime, but instead it was to fight the fear. Uh, I just found out today uh, that line is in the comic from 1988, The Cult. Uh, oh, I didn't realize that was actually quoting a comic because uh, I've only read The Cult like maybe once or twice. Um, but uh, I didn't remember that at all until I saw actually saw that on Instagram this morning. I was like, oh, my God, like that's that sounds like Batman forever. And I'm like, well, it actually comes from this comic. I'm like, well, 
the the idea is still still cool. I'm I'm sad that they took that out of it because that uh, that would change the perception of that movie. Definitely. Moving All on right. to Andrew. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to know. Uh, we we covered. I mean, is Batman Forever your favorite Batman movie? Or do you have do you have uh, one that you like more than that? Uh, Eighty nine is my favorite. Why is that? I, I I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just because it's the first one I saw when I was a kid. I just watched it over and over again, wore out the tape. It was, I, you know, it's memorized in my brain. And uh, probably because it's just like Batman and Joker. Um, mm. That's like the standard for me. I guess it, it always has been. Not that I don't enjoy uh, other Batman stories with other villains, but I guess like that was just such a pure, like simple, just those, you know, Batman and Joker, the like hero and villain, not, you know, not being overcrowded with other characters. It's just, um, this has always been my favorite, probably just for nostalgia reasons too. Yeah, for sure. Where, where are you from, by the way? Can you say at least the state? Oh yeah. I'm uh, from Concord, North Carolina. Okay, cool. I'm originally, you probably found that out from the podcast, but I'm from Atlanta originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're a teacher out there? Yes, yeah, I'm a middle school teacher, uh, art teacher, and uh, next year I'm going to be in high school. Ah, so do you know all about Minecraft or what, dude? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I could, like, I guess one of the good things about quarantine is I haven't had to hear about that over and over and over again forever. Did I really strike a nerve? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh, it was Minecraft, and then... I've just, it's always like the newest video game, I guess, is like the same thing that I hear over and over and over again. Fortnite, maybe? Fortnite, that's it, yes. Yeah. It's like seventh grade, that is uh, all I heard about it. it. One class in particular that had more boys than girls, and the girls uh. would be like, can we stop talking about Minecraft every day, or, or uh, Fortnite, it was just... Fortnite, I at least get to a degree, because it's, it's first-person shooter, makes sense, I get it, or no, it's third-person, but still... But, I don't know, Minecraft is just that one where it's just like, I mean, it's cool you want to build stuff, but it's just like, why did this become so, so big? <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah, I probably would have been in that as a kid, too. I I didn't have very many video games, but I do remember my, uh, I do remember getting Roller Coaster Tycoon and stuff on, on PCs, so I liked building things, but I don't know, the kids just get super into this stuff now. Yeah, it's, uh, I think there's more and more acceptance with video games as a whole. Like, growing up in the 90s, it was like, you could talk about it, but not for too long. Mm -hmm. And, but now it's like, I don't know, because the yeah, graphics yeah. are better and things are cooler and there's stories involved with them. It's like, it's a little bit cooler than it used to be. It's like gay culture in general just has become more mainstream over time where it's like if you didn't instead before where you're just like you saw the new Batman movie, you're a nerd. And now it's like if you didn't see the new Batman movie, like where the hell have you been? What cave do you live under? Movie culture in general, wouldn't you say? Like I, I remember back in the day, if like you could you could like bring up a movie and people would be like, yeah, I liked it or whatever. But now maybe it's just because I'm in L.A. now or something. But it's like everybody's got a fucking like 30 minute long critique after a movie <laughs> like Everybody's they start, fucking. They start a podcast about it. They start a podcast about it. It's like four hundred thousand podcasts on the planet now, <laughs> like, I, which is fine. But it, I feel like it's just my personal theory. But in a, in a way, it's a good thing because it's like in a way, by and large, people that watch movies are more. What do you call it? Um, 
cultured or something. People are more like seasoned viewers as a whole. I don't know. I feel like there's something different these days than it used to be. That's all I'm going to say. No, I agree. Minecraft as well. I don't know. Is To go back to that real quick, I'm always interested in, in, in what the kids are into. Is Pokemon pretty much dead? There are some weird little kids that are still into Pokemon. Uh, okay. They, they, I don't know. They're very niche kids that are already into anime. Uh, but if it's Pokemon, it's usually like, um, I have some sixth grade girls that are into it. It's okay. like they're very, very specific. And then some kids are just super into anime in general. And it just depends on a certain kind of anime. Like some of them have seen like Attack on Titan. Uh-huh. And some of them are still into Dragon Ball Z and have seen like the most recent version of that. So they're uh, they're all over the place and, and they're still into superheroes, but they're more they're more into the movies and they're well versed in in whatever is happening in the films. You know, they don't really have a lot of knowledge as far as um, as the comic books go. So they, they've kept up, by and large, you'd say they've kept up with the MCU pretty much? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw oh, one okay. of my kids whenever I went to go see Avengers Endgame, and he, like, walked by when me and my wife were sitting there, and I was like, oh, I guess it is a big deal. Everybody's going here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, became the biggest movie. Yep. Beat, beat Titanic. If you mention, let's go, let's bring it back to Batman real quick. They, I guess, like, I don't know, if you have you... Have you taken like any polls, any surveys about Batman amongst the kids? Like, what's the? I guess the MCU is pretty much like equal superheroes to these kids. You'd say? Oh uh, yeah, I would say so. They're, I mean, I know the kids that like Batman. I immediately like <laughs> gravitate towards them anyway. So it's like, <laughs> hey, you like the same thing I like. So, or any kids that like kind of spooky stuff. But um, it's definitely different. I mean, like when I was a kid, even though I was nerdy. Batman was still cool. People mm-hmm. had Batman t-shirts on. He, I mean, he kind of dominated like the box office there for a while. And I felt like it kind of got like that again with the, uh, the Nolan movies. Uh, but even now, whenever my kids are talking about Batman, a lot of them still think of Christian Bale or like if we, you know, talk about Joker, they want to draw Joker. They usually think of Heath Ledger first. Ah, um, yeah. So it's like, they're not, they're not, uh, sticking into like the new stuff as much as far as like the uh the dc extended universe or anything like that um these kids probably weren't even allowed alive in 2008 so they must have rented it or <laughs> downloaded it or however the fuck they saw it well Netflix. they also probably didn't get to see joker last year because that's not really in their age range i would yeah. think yeah. uh but uh yeah i can see them growing up surprised. With Dark Knight. yeah <laughs> they, that's got, true too. they saw deadpool they saw everything man <laughs> <laughs> what, I, sorry, I'm 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 so interested in this topic. But what would is there like any kind of main difference other than Minecraft? You'd say from our generation to the current one now? Uh, I don't know. I think it's kind of like Ben was talking about. It's just this unabashed uh, nerd culture where uh-huh. there are so many different types of kids, and it's okay to be into nerdy stuff. And it, I mean. Mm-hmm. Pop culture is like ruled by nerdy things right now, so it's pretty much okay. I mean, it's like bullying still goes on, but it's always kind of stupid drama stuff. Like no one really, no one really picks on you for liking something. Now they'll pick on you if you don't know about it or if you're bad at it. Like if it's a video game or something like that. Ah, uh, like oh, you suck at Fortnite. Exactly. Yeah. Something yeah, like that's that. Pretty much uh. it. 
your house sucked in Minecraft. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Calling each other a bot. I feel like I've heard that about a thousand times. A bot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Oh. <laughs> Kids these days. Oh, man. What's your least favorite Batman movie, would you say? My least favorite Batman movie? <sighs> I don't know. If I had to pick a movie with batman in it i would say justice league ah uh, yeah gotcha but if i had to say like one that has just kind of like fallen off my radar i'd probably say the dark knight rises i don't so think it's in, a bad it's in suicide squad <laughs> for, for a scene <laughs> you know, to, be, to be honest i actually kind of liked him in suicide squad um in the beginning i was kind of turned off by his uh, the way they portrayed him in Batman versus Superman being, you know, so uh, kill happy. Uh, so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. He's back to basics in Suicide Squad. But then after watching Justice League, I don't know. It's just like this. They totally turned him like completely around and he was too soft. And it made me kind of it made me kind of um, uh, look back at Batman versus Superman and and at least respect it for for trying something new because uh I just felt like Justice League was so trying trying too hard to be Marvel-like that it was just this weird kind of, uh, I don't know, weird kind of clone that didn't quite work. But at least mm-hmm. at least Batman vs. Superman was trying to do something different and not just a... What's been your favorite Superhouse moment so far? Or like... Uh, yeah, all the Burton and uh, Schumacher deep dives. I did start to get... Uh, I've listened to all the Chris Nolan ones so far. Um <laughs> I'd say uh, probably my favorite one was the your review over Bob Kane's script of the Young Made <laughs> yeah. Batman movie. <laughs> that was one of our better ones, I think. Yeah, it's one of our favorites. Yeah, I think just because we... it was so funny and ludicrous, not not you know the other ones I love because it, I really like looking into the making of movies. I can't tell you how many times I've watched the uh, the special features and the featurettes on the DVDs for all the Batman movies and stuff like that. I just love seeing how things are made, costumes and makeup. But um, just hearing about that script and, and, and like what went on in his brain was really funny. Dude, basically not much. It feels like, you know, like, <laughs> I don't think he was a guy that really did any second guessing after a certain point. After he made his first million, I don't think he ever second guessed himself again. Nope. Probably. I did listen to, there's like an audio interview online. I think it's from 1989 Batman movie. Um, uh, their YouTube channel, but they have an audio recording of an interview with uh, John Peters. And at one point, somebody's like, you know, Batman creator Bob Kane, like, was a creative consultant on the movie. What was his contribution to it? And then you just hear John Peters just go, ah, Bob Kane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's like man. trying to think of a way to phrase this. And he's like, well, his main contribution was creating batman because you know we needed the character i'm like okay you went for the obvious like obvious answer on that one (laughs) (laughs) it's got this bat suit see (laughs) so bizarre i i watched that documentary um about bill finger i can't remember the name of it now yeah yeah that was fantastic but it gave me such a like a bad feeling about bob kane after that and i remember there's like a little there's a moment in one of the special features of Batman, like the making of it, and uh, and his wife talking about how you know he got teared up at the premiere because all those people showed up, and it's like for a character I created, 
And I remember like that always made me feel like, you know, a little bit sad for him and stuff, uh, bittersweet. But now it's like, wow, he's just such an ass. It's like yeah. <laughs> it totally changes my viewpoint on him completely. Yeah, and at that point, I'm just like, you were in the limo crying. Meanwhile, Bill Finger was dead. So like... yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That movie, while I was watching that on Hulu, I just tweeted Athena Finger, hey, can you come on our podcast? Like, in 20 minutes, she was like, yeah. And then she came on, like, two or three times after that. This is kind of in the backlog at this point. But Mm -hmm. uh, it's just like, you know, people are available for podcasts, man, if you just reach out and talk to them. You know, we've had more luck than, than you'd think. And I think pretty much anybody would be the same if they reached out in a similar manner, you know? So I think that that shit's pretty cool. Um, what are you looking? Are you looking forward to the Batman? I'm cautiously uh, optimistic. I feel pretty neutral at this point. I remember when that first image of Heath Ledger's Joker came out, and me being kind of like put off by it a little bit, not really knowing what to expect. But as soon as the trailer came out, just being so overly hyped for it, it's I don't remember. Feeling that way after that, it's it's been a long time since I've been like excited for a Batman movie. I remember being really excited uh, for Batman versus Superman, and and just feeling kind of like let down by it afterwards. And then just all, I guess all the the letdowns as far as DC goes, it's kind of like this weird area where I love Batman so much, and I I always like to see what they do as far as interpretations on screen, but I'm just kind of neutral on it. What just, are your reservations? I don't know. Just the <laughs> how, how I don't understand how how um, the character is portrayed in the wrong way so many times. I guess, or they just don't quite understand what what makes people like Batman so much. Um, I don't know. I, I, the suit I'm, has I, to put me off or anything like that. I'm just kind of waiting around to see. I think the main thing at this point that kind of like gives me some pause lately anyway is just pattinson seems so like kind of an aloof what do you call it like um, he's very blase about it right now yeah like bird brain kind of like i don't what's the word like dumb like you would say dumb blonde for a girl it it all (laughs) he's probably not like that but it's like Especially when he acts, I'm sure he's he's not like that for sure. But like the way he acts in in some of his like interviews, and I don't know, man. Are you saying he's like Bruce Wayne? <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. we could that could be that be that's possible. <laughs> but if he's doing that, then he he needs he deserves an Academy Award. <laughs> right. No, I don't know. No, he, I mean, he is kind of a he does seem like he's kind of a weirdo in the interviews. Um, but then I think so was you know Keaton can be like that as well, or has been like that. In the past, like it's it's in the end, like I'm like it's just down to the guy's performance in the movie. And if there's anything that he said that I've actually really liked, it's it's what he said recently in the GQ magazine. Everyone's harping on the whole like, oh, he's like he's not working out. But the thing that I got attached to was he was like, well, this is is a character that's been around so many times. What's like my take? Like, where's the gap? Like, where? That's what, true. What am I gonna that's do that's true. different? And I appreciated that because I think that's. That's why we got the feelings that we all did on Justice League that Zach just described, where it's just like, this is just really generic, and there's no, like, take to this. And, and plus, like, even on a real, and not that realism is super important, but <laughs> to be a little bit more realistic, it's, it's, you know, a guy with kind of a more gymnast build, probably going to do a little better. 
You know what I mean? Then a ben guy Affleck. that's a guy that's like you know muscular, but you could be you know slow, kind of worn down by muscle. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah, it looks almost like sluggish after a certain point. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, it does tie into the casting of Keaton uh, in the fact that Burton was like, it doesn't make sense if this guy already is a Schwarzenegger build. Why would he need a bat suit to intimidate people? Right. So there is that factor that I always thought did make sense with uh, his justification for casting Keaton on that. And then it'll be kind of cool to see they've talked about, they've kind of hinted at some evolution too, right, of the suit in some of the interviews. Am I wrong, Ben? Um, I'd have to relook at the, the interviews because I don't remember that so much. I think that there's, maybe I'm mixing my signals here, but something like that. Um, so you're basically cautiously optimistic at this point, uh, Zach. Yeah, I'm intrigued by the addition of multiple villains, especially these a lot of villains that haven't really been given uh, attention lately. I mean, I love mm-hmm. the Joker too, but the idea of seeing like another version of Catwoman and Penguin and Riddlers, that's exciting to me. Uh, you know, I'm always excited to see what they're, what they're going to do with it. Um, you're not going to please I, everybody. I, I, I'm with you on that. I, th- I think that if, you know, we, we got to have Joker eventually for sure. But if we're having a trilogy, let's put him at the end this time. Let's go out with a bang. Let's have Joker in the third one. So let's have the second one. Ha- you know, ha- let's let's have Mister Freeze in there. Maybe I don't know. Just something, something. That's always been a problem too. Is like, how do we follow up Joker? That's why, like in Batman Returns, as I said in that, in that thing, like Burton wanted to do Catwoman and the studio wanted to do Penguin. So the compromise was both of them, <laughs> and thus right. created the multiple villain Batman movies ever since. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's always been a problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's always been an issue of like, great, we already did the Joker. Now what? Have you seen the Planet of the Apes movies, the second and third one, Zach? I, um, no. I really haven't kept up with a lot of those. I don't know what it is. Something about like apes. I just, I, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's like they, they're kind of boring to me. I remember like I was really excited about Godzilla, but then like King Kong was coming out and I was like, eh. I don't really care about King Kong as much. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the Tim Burton one is, is interesting. Um, I've seen some of the older ones before, uh, okay. but no, I haven't really kept up with them. Share with our listeners uh, how how can fans of yours, either on your Instagram or ones who are discovering you through this um, through this podcast, like how can fans support you? Hey, it, you don't have to do anything as long as you're uh, you're sharing my stuff. You can comment on it. Just like it you know message me tell me that you like it and i mean that's always good for me nobody ever has to spend any money i i'm going to continue making stuff whether people pay for it or not just because yeah, I, yeah, that's what i love um yeah, I, yeah. I can't stop drawing uh <laughs> but if i'm if i'm left to my own devices it like always goes back around to batman uh and i think that one of the good things about instagram is as much as I've done that, I guess it, it's drawn in a lot of fans that also like Batman stuff. So if people are paying me to do it, that's cool. And if they're not, that's fine. I'm still going to draw it anyway. So as at the end of the day, as long as people enjoy what I do and you know it makes them feel happy or it gives them like a that kind of like sense of nostalgia or you know any kind of feeling like that, I, I'm good. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> um. Also, I have two final questions from me. Uh, so, have you seen Batman versus uh, Ninja Turtles? I have not, but I've read the comic book. Okay, it's I I didn't finish it for some reason. I guess I got busy, but it's I, I think it pretty much follows that 
more or less to a T. And um, I so um, I really like that. And uh, did you like that comic series? I did. Yeah, it was interesting. I kind of wish it had almost been all like Bruce Tim style. Um, I gotcha. Like yeah. This yeah. Weird kind of mixture that I didn't hate it. Um, I still liked it, but I, I'm like a real snob for artwork in comics. Yeah. It could be a really good story, but if I'm not, if I don't like the artwork, I'm just not going to get into it. Um, so that's, I still liked it. Uh, it was definitely interesting. It was cool to see how they utilized uh, both worlds for the characters. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's what I appreciated the most was, was the, it was a, it was a successful blend of two different mythologies essentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, and I think it, it worked out in the in the movie. IGN gave it like an eight point two out of ten or something. I'm, I don't feel like I'm the only one. So, um, just we're kind of connecting to a, a previous episode here with an Ninja Turtles talk, and we're going to do a deep dive on that someday. I'm just kind of putting that out there, but that's cool that you liked it. But you haven't seen that yet, Ben? Uh, not yet. Uh, okay. Also, I kind of need a refresher on the T T M N T mythology in general, <laughs> which will help when you know Wolfie, uh, you know. Uh, continues that deep dive yeah 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 it's well it's not it's not really that complicated <laughs> don't worry about it too much it is it, it i'll it, probably i'll probably listen and be like oh yeah that's exactly what i remembered it's not under the red hood like it's not it's not a dark story it's not complicated like it's it is it's a, it's definitely skews towards like a younger audience the, the batman suit in it is more like God, people are going to kill me. But is it Batman, ba- Brave and the Bold? Like, it's definitely kind of got, like, a, a younger style. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, The blue and gray. The blue and gray, yeah. So yeah. Um, kind of keep that in mind. And, uh, yeah, I uh, just wanted to bring that up real quick. And my second question is, can I request – I saw you did some Power Ranger shit way back in the day. I, are you going to do any more of that? <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. I think that's when I first started trying out the color markers on the sketch cards. Um, I really would I- – I'm so busy now that I kind of have to sneak in stuff that I want to do in between um, projects. But if somebody commissions me to do it, I'd be happy to. I almost drew, I almost did like the Green Ranger or something one day. Like every now and then I'll get get on like a little kick of of something that I want to like dip my toes into as far as nostalgia. Like, oh, I'm going to go watch like a couple episodes of the, of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and, I think it was after I watched the episode of the toys that made us and they, oh, yeah. they talked about the whole show. Like I was like, Oh, I really want to draw like either the red Ranger, or the green Ranger. Uh, but you know, it's like sometimes if I can stick to those, all those little thoughts and feelings, I'll get it done. And then if I let it go too long, something else will, will pop in my head and I'll, I'll go towards that. I'm an, I'm, I'm unashamed to say I'm a fan of that series and I watch the Japanese stuff too. I don't know. I know it's like really ridiculous, but I I was there when it aired the first day when I was like nine, like it aired on an August morning. They talk about that in uh, toys, the toys that made us like that was me. I was there. I've been there since day one, pretty much in America. So I don't know. It just kind of stuck with me. And I saw that you did that. And uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, maybe we'll talk later. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, not Batman. <laughs> but uh, I've got a little uh, I have a little action figure of um, Tommy, like you know, the Green Ranger with like the head flip thing. I mean, oh, yeah. it's in my studio. Like, I I don't know. That's like a big part of my childhood, too. So it, it'll it always come back around. For sure. And your your Lord Zed was cool. And your more recent um, Donnie, Donatello, Ninja Turtle, that was awesome, dude. Really good stuff. 
Um, I'm trying to remember which, I think Donatello is the one that I did for my friend. He's a huge Ninja Turtles fan. And yeah. uh, he's got like the NECA Ninja Turtle for Donatello. Oh, those house. are so he's good, actually, man. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a custom action figure guy. Like he customizes all these figures. So he's super into that. And um, I drew that for him, I think for Christmas or something one year. And then somebody saw that and they wanted me to do Raphael. So I really have just done those two guys. And I think I did a little sketch card of a shredder at some point, but I love the first movie. It, it definitely oh. fits into that same vein as like Batman. It's like kind of dark and, and gritty and, but still like fun. It's like this, I don't know, this clunky real world version of superheroes that I like. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's great. So I guess that transitions us into the next part of our episode, which is about uh, the sequel to Contagion. We teased this when we were talking to Dustin Lee Massey, but uh, that was not the only story that contained the clench virus. Uh, We're going to head into a deep dive into the Contagion sequel called Legacy right after the break. Hey everybody, it's Andrew. I just wanted to tell you about our friend Israel's retro gaming shop, RetroCo. If you go to retro-ko.com, you'll be able to see all of his retro gaming goodies. If you wanted to get that Sega Saturn hidden gem from back in the day, or if you wanted to get the Famicom disc system that you never got as a kid, or any other type of retro game that you were into or uh, import game, please go to RetroCo.com. That's Retro-KO.com. And if you use the Superhouse code Johnson's Ballsack, you'll be able to get a little bit of a discount at checkout. So please, once again, if you could just go to RetroCo.com, you can also go to Facebook.com slash RetroCo with no hyphen. That's R-E-T-R-O-K-O. You'll be able to find him on Facebook as well. If you were looking for that PlayStation import game that you never got, if you were looking for that Mega Drive game that you never got, or any other kind of retro game, any import game, it could even be European. Israel also curates bundles at RetroCo, and he'll curate that bundle just for you. So please, go check him out. If you put in the code Johnson's Ballsack at checkout, you'll receive a Superhouse discount. And now for some great hits from the 90s. Hey, who's for horses? More like spam insane. <laughs> What's up, this guy? <laughs> and welcome back. We are back to discuss Legacy, the sequel to Contagion, another comic book that deals with Batman fighting the pandemic, which is very relevant to today. I know I said somewhat relevant in the last deep dive we did on that, but that was a deliberate understatement. But yes, it's very relevant now. Um, one thing I wanted to do, though, is sort of dive into... The reasons behind uh, the whole Contagion storyline in the first place. I had recently found a quote uh, from a DC editor at the time uh, named Scott Peterson on uh, why they chose to do this pandemic story. And he said, The Hot Zone by Richard Preston, the first bestseller about the Ebola virus, was all the rage when Contagion was conceived. Fellow Batman editor Darren Vincenzo <laughs> was was the first to read it, I think, and he gave it to me, and it just terrified us, which is, of course, excellent grits for <laughs> storytelling meal. 
Jason's voice is perfect for this. <laughs> one, one of the keys to a great villain is to make said villain faster, stronger, smarter, better. Better in some way than the hero. And here we had a villain the Batman could not punch, could not kick, could not thwart using any of his traditional methods. And yet, it's doing as much or more damage to his beloved city than any member of his rogues gallery. For an obsessive like the Batman, that would absolutely be devastating. Bravo. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds exactly like Scott Peterson, I'm sure. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Watch him be the one guy that actually is British. (laughs) Yeah, that would be hilarious. Uh, But yeah, this is... For Contagion, this was exactly what we said in, in that episode, where it was cool to see a enemy. It's an enemy that Batman can't fight in the traditional means, and how he has to deal with that, and the the frightening aspect of that. So uh, we did cover Contagion last time with Dustin Lee Massey, so please uh, take a listen to that, uh, and then come back to hear this part. But uh, now we're in a storyline that happened pretty soon afterwards, actually, called Legacy. Now, uh, Andrew... You have, uh, I'm guessing you haven't read Legacy yet. No. Okay. I have not. I'm learning with the audience. Gotcha. And then, Zach. I remember reading just a couple of issues, uh, never anything collected. Uh, mm-hmm. But when I did, when you told me about it and I looked it up and I saw some of the pages, they did seem familiar, but I think it's going to be pretty fresh to me, too. Okay. Cool. So. Legacy is a different take on a similar story. Just to recap, when we talked about Contagion, it was kind of like this really scary story, very relevant, very emotional, with Tim Drake catching the virus and potentially dying, and then it kind of just ends with, Azrael finds the cure, the end, everything's solved. And it seems really <laughs> anticlimactic. So uh, there's a new twist, and I don't know if this was deliberate uh, to end it and kind of give it a false ending, but in Detective Comics 699... Uh, we circle back to that inept former mayor of Gotham City, Armand Kroll, the guy who was deliberately, you know, slow acting when it came to uh, the virus. Hmm. But uh, <laughs> he ended up catching it himself in that story, got cured, but as of Detective Comics 699, he did. He's on, he's on the morgue. Oh, uh, and he supposedly was cured <laughs> by the plague, but the doctors say that it's actually mutated. There's a they call it a retrovirus strain that's hidden in the tissues. And when it emerges, then the timetable's faster and they bleed out in a matter of hours as opposed to a matter of days. So it basically has mutated into a more dangerous version of this plague. And it's especially uh, in people who survived the previous version. So they call for a level four quarantine situation. So basically everybody's nightmare has come true where they thought they had this pandemic down, but it turns out that it's actually even more powerful than ever which is exactly what people probably don't want to hear about right now but whatever we're still in this storyline it was 1996 give him a break uh so batman tells Azrael that uh, the antitoxin that pure that he supposedly got uh, didn't actually destroy it and it's mutated and the person he has to tell this bad news to is tim drake himself remember tim was somebody who was a victim of the clench he barely survived out of it and he hears this news that he's going to potentially get the clench again if they don't find some way to stop it or find some cure for it or a real cure. There's always from a, it. A, a moment after I hear the name Azrael where I think of Gargamel's cat from Smurfs. <laughs> <laughs> that was the uh, name of the cat? Yeah, yeah. Azrael! Something like that. Yeah. He, 
That was his, that was the cat's name. I didn't watch the Smurfs, so now. <laughs> oh, you didn't, bro. No, you don't I didn't. know all about Smurf mythology, Smurf I'm lore. Not, I'm not the man who knows too much about Smurfs, so I can Smurf canon. <laughs> I'm the I'm the man who knows too little about Smurfs. Oh man. I know well, Papa Smurf, and Smurfette, and that's about it. You would. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, Gotham is now reacting to the former mayor's death. There's a very, uh, very relevant scene here where a councilman is proposing that we quarantine everybody. He says, round them out, all the survivors, all those who were sick and got well, and shut them away so they pose no hazard to others. And the mayor is like, this is a prison camp for sick people. And he's like, or it's isolation for potential killers. So he's very much paranoid and he wants to quarantine the entire city. Do they and mention the, the lack of ability to get a haircut in this storyline at all? They do not, or uh, problems with ventilators or anything like that. Oh, okay. They kind of keep it very comic booky in the fact that this is about uh, Batman hunting after a cure uh, from that may be tied to the Order of Saint Dumas, and not uh, any oh. of the potential political realistic ramifications within the city. But oh, man. Uh, okay. the city vetoes the idea of. Uh, quarantine people because Gordon and everyone else believes that that'll turn people into criminals, that people will uh, panic too much and uh, things will get even more and more ugly, especially considering what happened last time where a whole bunch of people basically burned down the entire rich people's tower. Um, There's a small subplot where Penguin is like, oh, this is a wonderful opportunity to uh, distract the police and has uh, he has the DA in his pocket, so he tries to uh, bribe the DA into doing a press conference to announce that they're planning to quarantine everybody uh, because he wants the chaos in the streets and he wants the police to be so preoccupied that Penguin can commit all these crimes. But uh, Andrew's favorite bird of prey, the Huntress, actually comes in and stops oh, yeah. that from happening, so uh, that's, that's a help. But uh, basically they find that uh, Azrael had found the supposed cure in this journal uh, beforehand uh, from the Order of St. Dumas, and it ties back to this legend from the 12th century uh, about something called the Wheel of Plagues. Uh, and anybody who possesses the knowledge or knows about the wheel can use these plagues against other people. So this is where things get more comic booky. We we're like kind a, of in, like a cult kind of stuff. Like yeah, this is yeah, yeah exactly. So That's the cool. previous version was a little bit more of a contagion, like Steven Silverboard contagion type of thing. This one is a little bit more like a uh, you know spy thriller where the international spy thriller where somebody can release some weaponized virus type of thing. This is very much a weaponized Dan Brown, thing. but good. Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, apparently this guy left a journal of his discovery um, from the 12th century, and a lot of people have been fighting over the journal, including the Vatican, including the Order of St. Dumas, and a figure known as the Immortal. Hmm. So, uh, whoever has this journal finds out where the location of the Wheel of Plagues is and can control the plagues, but also can figure out uh, the cure for it. Um, And Oracle brings up that this mutated version of the virus, uh, like, it's, there's kind of inconsistent in terms of people's symptoms sometimes it can lie low in the victim's bloodstream for days sometimes it can lie low in it for years and then create symptoms later so there's no real short incubation period for this if that also sounds familiar uh but uh batman decides to go to the sudanese desert to find the cure uh because that's where the journal was the source uh he leaves the huntress in charge of gotham which is rare because he does not trust her 
but he's kind of at desperate times because he needs Nightwing and Robin's help uh, when they go over there. And they arrive in the Sudanese desert, and of course, they take out the guards in front of uh, the Wheel of Plagues, only to be caught by the Immortal himself, who turns out to be Shocker Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> As if we didn't already predict that's who it was going to be. Uh, oh yes, we also have another quote from Scott Peterson. We thought that Roz was just about the only great Batman villain that should be used exceedingly sparingly. He's the most effective that way, and it makes both him and his appearances that much more special. And since we wanted to do something special for Detective Comics number 700, Roz was the obvious choice. Where's my chick for late? Now, Roz is obviously the the big villain behind this, but uh, I just want to backtrack a little bit. Zach, um, I know that Joker um, and Riddler, based off of your your art, is is some of your favorite Batman villains. Uh, What what opinions or memories do you have of uh, Roz al Ghul? Um, I really liked him in the cartoon, but I do admit that when I was younger, they had Roz al Ghul action figures, and I was never interested in him. (laughs) I think it's because he didn't have... They actually gave him a mask as an action figure, which I don't remember him ever wearing in the cartoon. So I think that was kind of like an extra gimmicky thing, him with the armor on. Uh, he wears it briefly. He, he wears it very briefly at one point, and Batman takes the, the mask off of him in uh, the first episode. But that's about it. Yeah, it's he's so much more of a sophisticated villain that I can appreciate now. But mm-hmm. as a kid, I really found him boring. I guess it's because he didn't have, like, a crazy suit on or he wasn't deformed in some way that I was like, Oh, who's this old guy with like the little goatee. But, um, (laughs) yeah, he is one of my favorites now. He's very, he's very James Bond, uh, villain esque. And that's true. That's true. Yeah. I like the, um, I like the episodes in animated series. I think the one that I like the most is avatar where Mm. he's like, because you get to see Batman in like Egypt in the desert. And I thought that was super cool. The lighting on him was different. And Roz is trying to raise up this like zombie uh, priestess woman. And I thought that was really cool because it was like something supernatural uh, in the show. So he definitely has grown on me. As a kid, though, it was like, yeah, Joker, Riddler, Two-Face, Penguin, like all these weirdos. Like I liked them because they were in Gotham City and they had their own little gimmicks. But uh, I like Roz a lot more now. You know, that's actually, you just reminded me, I pretty much had the same type of thing when I was growing up. I did not actually see the Ra's al Ghul two-parter that introduced him until um, Closer to Batman Begins when I knew he was going to be in the movie. But I remember just being, like, I didn't really know who he was. I didn't really care that much. I think the only episode I had seen was, like, the tail end of the Jonah Hex one, where he tells uh, Batman, like, did you think I was... You know, did you think I'd go living around centuries and only sire one heir? <laughs> and find I sired many heirs, I'll have you yes. know. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was the only thing. And then I think it was finding out that he was going to be in Batman Begins, where I was just like, okay, I better study up on this character uh, that I was. And yeah, I was pretty much forgot Roz existed entirely until I saw Batman Begins, and I had—I'm pretty <laughs> sure I saw these episodes on the, you know, on BTAS, but uh, it's just like than I do, <laughs> like, like, like you guys, like it's just not—he wasn't like at that time didn't really like stick in your memory all that much. I feel like the Lazarus Pit stuck in my memory more than Roz himself. 
Yeah, that's, I think that's an interesting thing, that the kids don't really gravitate towards him compared to others. I've never really heard of a kid being like, oh, I really love this Rosal Ghoul action figure in my toy box. Like, it's, it's always Joker, Riddler, or something. Um, it was never really a name that I even said. I already, I always thought it was a weird-looking name on paper. I didn't even realize how it was pronounced <laughs> until I started watching the specific episodes. It was like the episode that Zach referenced, We Are in the Desert. Uh, with Ra's al Ghul, and of course he's not alone. As usual, he's got the League of Assassins. As usual, he's got Talia. And as usual, he's got Ubu, who uh, <laughs> listeners might not be super familiar with because he's not in any of the live-action adaptations, but Ubu is the bodyguard to Ra's al Ghul and is actually a title passed down from one bodyguard to the next, um, usually associated with being this dumb dude that Batman usually takes out, but he's usually some huge guy. Um Interesting enough, this Ubu has a mask, um, very similar actually to the ceremonial type of mask that Zach was describing for the action figure uh, on the Razogul. I think it's supposed to be a demon's head type of mask, but uh, anyways, I'll just call him the masked Ubu. So we have um, these three, and uh, we overhear Raz sort of monologuing to Talia and Ubu about his plans. Um, so he says... With only a partial knowledge of the wheel, transcribed from a Parthian text, I was able to reconstruct the phylovirus known as Ebola Gulf A, and those cretins in the cult of Dumas stole it from me, and their blundering nearly waste to a city. So basically he's saying that the Order of St. Dumas actually stole his wheel of plagues, or the plague from the wheel of plagues, and that's what caused the contagion in the previous story. So he's somewhat responsible for what happened in the first story in contagion naturally uh yes of course <laughs> like who else would be behind this yeah right. uh and uh it's also another uh thing where they never really explained how asriel in the beginning of contagion seemed to get he seems to mysteriously just get video footage of oh look the order of saint dumas is uh gonna be laying waste to the city because i got footage but who sent him the footage presumably it might have been Roz. Uh, it's never really mentioned or explained, but that's what I would like to think because they never really explained it. Uh, but he brings up uh, basically what his plans are to use this. So he says, In the past, a plague would arise and burn through the populace until it ran out of hosts by reasons of distance or time. But today, the great centers of the world are only separated by hours of travel. A virulent strain engineered by me, spread by aerosol contact, could reach half the world in a day's time. There would be no time for the New World Order to react. With this new sword of doom hanging over every soul on the planet, human civilization will cease to exist. Man's natural state of suspicion and brutality and raw survival will return. So he basically wants <laughs> base us to go into our base natures where we are savage and fighting over toilet paper and that type of stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought there was a great meme about like... <laughs> How much toilet paper do I have to buy to to save myself from the murder hornets? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Upcoming deep dive on Batman versus murder hornets. Yeah. Coming soon. <laughs> there probably is one. <laughs> I can't punch them either. <laughs> I gotta think about who he would use for that one. Is there a hornet-based villain? Firefly, uh, I guess. Firefly is—he's more pyro. Yeah, what about... You could like use a, Firefly. Oh. You could team up with Firefly to burn. <laughs> to, nope. Just use your flamethrower right, right, on right. it. I need your skills. Um. So, wait. He, um. So, there, there is no... There is none, huh? Or no? Bees that is a missing wasp? link. 
That is a missing link. Okay, super. This is Superhouse history. We're going to create a Batman villain here for Murder Hornets, uh, so that Batman can fight it. That's what we're. That's what we're doing. That'll be sweet. <laughs> Keep thinking of Swarm from uh, Spider-Man. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, that's like the thing I can think of. There was some bee-related villain on the Flash a while back, who was supposed to be the like bug-eyed bandit or something. It was played by um, oh, I forgot her name, Emmy Kenny, uh, from uh, The Walking Dead. So she wow. controlled like tech, like wasps that were like I think they were robotic versions. But anyway, maybe those were the murder hornets before their time. <laughs> from Teen Titans. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that too. Uh but we'll we'll figure it out. And uh Zach will uh be the creator in terms of the design of it. Oh yeah, that'd be sweet. But uh so Roz wants to he, it's his usual thing. It's gonna be a clean slate for the world to start anew, and he's even said that he's modified the virus so the survivors will be more intelligent and more docile to him. Uh so standard villain monologue stuff. Uh, but it also seems that Roz, when he discovers Batman is around, uh, unlike beforehand where he would usually want to kill him, he actually is just like, ah, you've been in the thorn of my side for too long, and he ends up just basically ordering his men to kill Batman. Uh, and the reason why is that he is no longer interested in Batman being, uh, you know, hooking up with Talia and uh, pimping out his daughter to him. Uh, instead, in this version, he actually wants Ubu to be with Talia. This version of Ubu seems to be smarter, tougher, he even questions Roz at some point, um, and his intellect is shown when he sees Batman and Robin uh, down below, and uh, he pulls open a door that causes uh, water to flood down so he can drown them down below. Uh, and uh, Roz, Talia, and Ubu take off in a helicopter so they can spread this virus, and Robin brings up how like this is humiliating because of this Ubu guy keeps laughing at them, and Batman says... That's not Ubu. And Ubu takes off his mask to reveal another mask underneath. A very luchador-looking mask. I'm going to take a crack at this voice. Yeah. It's good to see you alive, Batman. <laughs> Dude, you sound just like a luchador, man. <laughs> How'd that happen? <laughs> so, surprise, this is a Dark Knight Rises episode prequel on this podcast. Because this is the first time in comic book history that Bane had any involvement with Ra's al Ghul, Talia, or the League of Assassins, which was carried over into the movie. Ah, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, Contagion and uh, Legacy is written by Chuck Dixon, who is the co-creator of Bane, uh, who also wrote parts of Nightfall and parts of the next story after this, which is No Man's Land, all of which played a role in The Dark Knight Rises. So really, The Dark Knight Rises owes a lot to Chuck Dixon. Uh, because he wrote all, pretty much all the stories uh, that it's based off of. Uh, but there is a story he wrote later on in 98 uh, called Bane of the Demon that covers how he met Ra's al Ghul and, and Ra's was sort of intrigued by this other guy uh, who sort of reminded him of the detective and he thought maybe he'd be a better heir because he was more ruthless than Batman. Uh, and Bane sort of falls in love with Talia and uh, sees it as his destiny to take over Roz's organization or kill Roz and take it over uh, and uh, be with Talia and rule the world with her. So uh, he steals the the journal that I referred to earlier. He actually steals it at one point for Roz, but he secretly rips out some of the pages and commits them to memory so that Roz cannot actually kill him. 
he's like, you know, I've committed it to memory. You can't kill me because you need me in order to get to your wheel of plagues. Uh, and that is when Roz tells him, You are a being of pure self. You are entirely without morals or any virtue save courage. You may just be the second most dangerous man alive, which is why you are the perfect mate for my daughter. Back to Legacy, then Roz, Bane, and Talia take off. Uh, and Batman has Oracle sweep the internet to find that he has four potential targets around the world, Paris, Edinburgh, Calcutta, and, of course, Gotham. And so the Batman family splits up, and we have our international Batman adventure, kind of a James Bond-esque thing. So while Contagion was all set in Gotham, this one is kind of split among different uh, different countries and stuff. Um, quick poll, though. Do you like it when there are Batman stories that take place outside of Gotham? Let's start with uh, Andrew. Yeah, I think that kind of mixes it up a bit. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the heart of it's Gotham, but I, you know, mm-hmm. I think for just variety's sake, yeah, I like it. Zach. Uh, yeah, I do too. It is kind of refreshing to see Batman in a different environment, uh, and just to see how not just the way the suit looks, but um, you know, kind of the way he acts when he's outside of Gotham City. Um, so yes, I do like it too, and uh, every now and then. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, it works especially when it comes to a Rosal Ghoul type story uh, in here, and uh, it it brings sort of a James Bond element to all this because as as Zach said, it's like it is he's kind of a James Bond esque villain. I think I gotta look this up to make sure, but I think he was somewhat inspired by Blofeld in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which is also Chris Nolan's favorite James Bond movie. Uh, Makes so sense. There's a there's a connection there as well uh, on it, but yeah. I think it's always interesting to me how people in other countries react to Batman. Because in some interpretations, especially in like the Silver Age, it was kind of just more like, oh, he's an internationally renowned crime fighter. So, like, of course, everybody would know him uh, back when he was more of a public figure. But when he's more of an urban legend, um, there's a part in here in Scotland where they, the, the Scottish vandals he's talking to are just like, oh, you're the boogeyman. I can't do a Scottish accent. They call him the boogeyman. I can't do it either, man. I can do British, but I can't do I can't do fucking Scottish or Irish, really. Zach, can you do Scottish? I don't know. I don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> it's okay. We do it all the time on on recording. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, he they call him the boogeyman. They don't know really who he is. So that's it's somewhat interesting to see the different reactions to him. Uh, when Batman's in Calcutta in the story as well, uh, this one kid actually takes a curiosity to him, ask him about stuff, and that, that kind of ties into an old-school story uh, called The Batman No One Knows from the 70s. I think Denny O'Neill wrote it, where um, Batman, all these kids are speculating on who Batman could be or what he looks like, and then Bruce Wayne, for whatever reason, decides it's a good idea to stop chaperoning these kids and show up in his real Batman costume and all the kids look at him and kind of react and laugh at him <laughs> for trying to do even though he's wearing the real Batman costume and Batman concludes at the end that that's because the innocent do not have a reason to fear him uh, which is kind yeah. of a fun idea but it's uh, it kind of is carried over over here where this kid uh, takes a liking to Batman and uh, is he, he's basically this poor kid who lives in an alley and you would think at some point Batman's going to adopt him <laughs> based off of how much he takes care of this kid in this and turn him into another Robin. But he's already got Tim Drake, so it's probably not in his mind uh, at this point. Um, but when he is in Calcutta, 
he meets with Lady Shiva, who, uh, if you guys have read Nightfall, she was the one who trained him to get back into shape after Bane broke his back. Um, so she brings up how, you know, you have returned, you've reclaimed your mantle. And he uh, brings up his criticism of her that, you know, if they're going to work together, they'll be, uh, as said in The Dark Knight Rises, no guns, no killing. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, she does say, my life is that of the warrior, and the warrior's way is always death. Um, it's a very uh, samurai-esque type of way to look at things. To rush towards death. Yes. Um, and then at some point, the kid helps them fight the League of Assassins members, uh, and the kid gets shot while trying to help them uh, uh, stop the virus from spreading over there. So Batman, uh, he rescues, he doesn't rescue, but he, he gets the vial before it evaporates. Um, uh, so he saves everybody in Calcutta from it, and he goes back to the kid, and the kid's wounded. And Shiva says, be proud of him. He chose the way of a warrior. And Batman says, no, Shiva. He almost died, but he killed no one. He chose the way of a hero. And mm -hmm. I thought that was a nice touch uh, to character moment for Batman, as well as about uh, the differences between him and Shiva. As we've brought up, like it's always, it's always usually better to have a Batman who doesn't kill because it's a richer drama as opposed to just him being like the Punisher. Well, also like... This is my fanfic I wrote a few years ago, where I had this idea of like the 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 core idea. Of what uh, it was from a henchman's perspective. Ben probably knows what I'm talking about, but it was like I, I like this idea of Bat Batman's martial arts prowess being so good that he's able to kind of do a death move or an incapacitative move on somebody, but doesn't kill them or incapacitates them too much you know what i mean like that's mm -hmm. like like it takes a certain kind of martial arts to be able to kill somebody which is definitely a skill especially in self-defense but you have this the idea i think that the way i'd like batman to be written is that the, the skill is so so good that he's that it's he's able to do these moves without killing people you know what i mean every move mm -hmm. is on purpose it's all it's all deliberate. It's he's improving as he fights, but at the same time very deliberate. You know what? Mm -hmm. am, I, am I making any sense? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Cool. I'm guessing. I'm guessing Zach, based off of our discussion on uh, Batman versus Superman, that uh, you're in support of the the no kill rule. Oh yeah, definitely. I know. Like looking back now, that Keaton definitely blew up that chemical factory full of like, <laughs> <Yes>. goons. <laughs> I guess it kind of went over my head as a kid, and I know that that man does blow up with dynamite strapped to him. That is kind of funny, but um, yeah, I think yeah. It just shows that he has more empathy, and I really appreciate it when he has empathy, even for his villains. Um, there's like an episode of the New Adventures of Batman called No Fear, and it's similar to Batman Begins where they're like, you know, scare it's Scarecrow instead of Ra's al Ghul. But, uh, you know, they're on this train like with fear gas on it uh, in the subway tunnels and it's going to crash and release everything. And even after Batman knocks out Scarecrow, Robin thinks that he's going to leave him there to die. But he's like, no, go. I'm going to take care of him. And he does. He, he gets Scarecrow and takes him out and saves him. And, and, you know, I think that just means a lot that no matter how like terrible those characters are, he still has like that value for human life that, mm -hmm. you know, makes, makes him different than them. Yeah, right. absolutely. Exactly. It, yeah. It, yeah. I think, it, and then the potential consequences of, you know, when you rescue that guy and then he comes back to 
shoot Barbara Gordon or kill Robin. Like, it, the, the, having that weighing on his conscience and how that's both a heroic aspect to him as well as a potentially fatal flaw on that. Uh, so it, it's such a such a dramatic, great element of the character that leads into to all these great stories that if we didn't have that, then it lessens the character. It lessens the drama of the stories. Cheapens so, it in some way for some reason. I don't yeah, know what it, is. it does. Yeah. So by our count, the only live-action Batman who have not killed are, uh, at least deliberately, uh, Adam West pretty much sneaks in there. The only time he kind of did was in the 66 movie accidentally when he punched those henchmen in the Batcave and they evaporated, but he couldn't have known <laughs> that was going to happen. Uh, and then George Clooney did not kill anybody in Batman and Robin. Hell yeah. And then uh, Ian Glenn on Titans in real life has not killed anybody, even though there was an episode where uh, Trigon was making Dick Grayson think that Batman was going out there killing people, but the actual Bruce Wayne in real life in Titans does not seem like he does that at all. So it's kind of a bad track record live-action-wise. There's only three so far. Yeah, they (laughs) always get that wrong, man. Or they're always trying to make a dramatic point out of it. They've been doing that a lot in the, um, the Arrowverse shows, and I'm just like, dude, at this point, like, We've seen more Batman who kill than somebody who doesn't. <laughs> like right, it's it's, right, right. it's too much. Like let's let's go back to the. So that's another thing that I hope that they at least uh, abide by in the Batman with Pattinson. At this point, I'm yeah, sure Reeves. So. You would think Reeves at this point is familiar enough with the canon, familiar enough with the previous movies to be like, okay, let's not do any of that. Let's it actually is, like, see him save people. There's like subtle hints at at Adam West Batman too. Like there's. There, there, there might be some, some love there that we're gonna see, in the movie. Like I wouldn't be too surprised if there's like a Shakespeare head scene in 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 the Batman. You know what I mean? Or I would love like, it if there was a Shakespeare head. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel I, I'm calling it right now. I feel like we're gonna see that. We're gonna see a little bit more some some West thrown in there. Maybe when he starts off the Batcave, he's just like, atomic batteries to power. Turbines yeah. of speed. <laughs> Maybe not that far, but definitely a Shakespeare head. <laughs> uh, do you, you want to know how much of a nerd I am? Whenever I was in high school, I got um, a telephone in my room, and it was like an old rotary phone, and I took the case off and spray-painted it red and wrote bat phone on the Hell top yeah. of it. So that was in my room, you know, debonair as I was in high school for the bat phone. <laughs> amazing you were the coolest guy in school man <laughs> that's awesome that would that would have been cool with me uh every cell phone case i've gotten in the past few years is red for that reason oh that's <laughs> I've nice used any yeah that's my more subtle way and then f- when it's a work call i deliberately set it to the the bat phone uh ring, <laughs> ringtone i don't do that for everybody because i think it's annoying because it's really not a very pleasant sound that's awesome but if it's a work call then i put it that way um all right, so back to Legacy. Um, so they stop it in all the different cities because, of course, it's the Batman family. Um, going back to Gotham, Roz is apparently going to ta- obviously going to target a place that is super crowded, and so they're trying to explore the different places uh, that would open. And in 96, this seemed really unrealistic that uh, this would happen in the light of a pandemic, but uh, given real-life scenarios, you never really know. But apparently in this version, Roz is targeting a casino, that's about to open, and Batman goes there to stop it, except this time, uh, the per- people who are stopping him are not regular League of Assassin members. This time, it's Bane. 
uh, and we get the actual rematch between Bane and Bruce Wayne that we did not get before. So just to recap, in Nightfall, Bane breaks Batman's back uh, in the Batcave and tosses him you know, down the side of a building to announce that he's taken over, and then John Paul Valley takes over as Azrael, as the Azbat, as we call it, and then he takes out, uh, he takes bad. out, he, yeah, he doesn't kill Bane, but he does severely kick his ass on uh, on the monorail in uh, during Night Quest. Uh, Bane afterwards, and here's something that a lot, not a lot of people know because a lot, a lot of the perception in the adaptations is, you know, Bane is hooked to Venom. You just cut off the Venom tubes and then, uh, you know, that weakens him and then you take him out and that's it. In the comics, after the Nightfall Night Quest storyline, Bane actually weaned himself off of Venom. He was no longer on Venom at all uh, for most of his time in the comics. He uh, just so that's reverted it. to straight-up testosterone and HGH <laughs> shot right into the side of the butt. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> he does not revert to any drugs. Actually, he goes to prison and he gets fat in Blackgate Prison. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, he gets fat in Vengeance of Bane too. We catch up with Bane after the the Nightfall stuff, and he. I really uh, love Doritos. Yes. Mountain Dew. Another two. Nacho Night. <laughs> Release the Snyder Cut. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but he is in, in prison. He is motivated to get back in shape again to get back at uh, at least find. He's mainly motivated to find the person who made him grow up in Peña Duro in the first place. And He's that the one guy that doesn't get jacked in prison. He has the reverse. No, he, well, he he goes he he decides to go back into shape. So at one point, I gotcha, I gotcha. he gets thrown into isolation. He gets thrown into solitary, and he decides to get back into shape by running and doing a lot of bodyweight exercises. Basically, what most people are not doing now in quarantine, and he goes from being this really yeah, tubby yeah. fat guy to being um, super ripped and back to the shape he was in before, except this time with no need for venom. Um, but he's driven by just like how Batman's usually driven by his parents' death. Bane is driven by the little boy inside of him who had to grow up inside of a prison, and this boy's insistence that he was innocent and didn't deserve what life threw at him, didn't deserve to be thrown into prison. Um, and it's that hatred towards the world uh, that also creates this justification where it's just like, well, I'm an innocent man. I'm an innocent kid. Therefore, the world is evil, and I'm the one who's right. And that's kind of Bane's justification. Uh, and uh, this kind of ties in later on when Bane gets into this fight with the Bruce Wayne Batman. And this is their... They kind of encounter each other at the end of Vengeance of Bane uh, Part 2, but this is their actual full-on fight. And uh, Bane sort of sees Batman and Ra's al Ghul as his equal. And Batman sort of taunts him by calling him his errand boy. And that pisses off Bane. And so Bane starts trying to choke him. And uh, Bane's like, uh, let me see if I can crack at this. He says, then what am I? Tell me what I am. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me what I am. Tell me. And uh, Batman (laughs) gets out of his. Yes. (laughs) Little bit. Hey-ho. 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 Um, Batman gets out of his grip and and he says you're an animal and you deserve to get locked up in a cage and he beats his ass and the last thing Bane says when he's like close to being unconscious is like but I'm innocent and then Batman knocks him out um, and the before Batman can lock him up though uh, 
Bane's unconscious body falls onto a raft, and the current sweeps it away. Very coincidental uh, on this, but uh, Bane is separated from Batman, and Batman can't lock him up. But that's the end of the Bane-Batman rematch. Uh, in the meantime, Roz is using uh, a computer on his yacht uh, to sort of generate or analyze the wheel of plagues to uh, create more plagues. Uh, weirdly enough, the... The confrontation on this yacht does not involve Batman. The confrontation is Nightwing, Robin, and Huntress. It's their job to stop this, which I think is an interesting choice. That's cool. Uh, with Oracle basically using her computer skills to get the cure, but essentially Tim Drake takes it on himself to hack uh, or give Oracle the access to the computer once they get on. So uh, Robin, Huntress, and Nightwing are like, you know, we don't want to get into a fight. We just got to get into the computer. And Nightwing is like, hey, we're good at the sneaky stuff, remember? And then they hop onto the yacht only to immediately see one of Rosal Ghoul's men who's like, intruders! So, so much for the sneaky stuff, Dick. Uh, but Tim gets to the computer, and this is where, I swear, this is the best line of the comic. Tim gets to the computer, and he says, Roz has Windows 95. <laughs> so... <laughs> now, keep in mind, this is like 1996, so I guess that was like... High super tech. great at the time yeah <laughs> high tech at the time but these days it's just it, is, it has not aged well um but, but the thing she... is like a lot of pc owners man fucking still think i was the best one no <laughs> xp xp rather never mind i take it back but yeah people still suck <laughs> on windows xp man like dude move the fuck on but uh that's pretty funny they're like oh he's got the coolest fucking os imaginable the league of assassins chooses windows 95 over windows xp andrew you know, people have always said that, uh, well, not always, but I've heard people talk about the what operating system the Batcave is on. <laughs> talk about nerdy as fuck, right? And they always said it would be some version of Linux, like a, like a, he would customize his own uh, Linux for the Bat computer. Dude, I've thought of a lot of different things in terms of deeply about Batman, obviously, but I've never really thought about that. I've always just been like... It's some Wayne Tech computer. Check and mate, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Tim helps Oracle hack into the thing to generate numbers for a cure. Uh, Robin gets into a fight in the meantime with League of Assassins members. And true to what happened to Rosal Ghoul's hideout in Batman Begins when Christian Bale uh, was escaping, but uh, a fire ends up starting, and he and Huntress and Nightwing have to escape. And the boat explodes, presumably taking out Roz and Talia. But come on, we know that's not possible. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Gotham now is in relief due to the treatment. So this is a better version, I think. It's a better ending rather than Azrael just randomly remembering the cure like right. in uh, right. Contagion. Uh, there's some epilogue stuff, but it's not really super notable. Um Throughout the series, there's also, if uh, Forever's listening to this and wants to read it, uh, Catwoman has a role, but very different from Contagion. In Contagion, she played a very vital role in working with Batman and, and Robin in terms of trying to find the people who could be survivors. In this one, she gets hired separately to try to find uh, the Wheel of Plagues, only to get captured by Bane, um, and then escapes from Ra's al Ghul, and then that's it. She has no interaction with the bat with Batman or the Batman family in the entire story, so it's kind of just there for the sake of having. Because Catwoman was still a title at the time, so I think oh, they just gotcha. wanted to include her into it. Uh, and then this did close out with a very interesting epilogue, which will tie into a certain movie. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was called Batman Bane, 
uh, also by Chuck Dixon. The art was by Rick Burchett, uh, but it was released in 1997. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, in around the time of the Schumacher movies, they released comics that uh, were their own storylines for each of the villains. So for Batman Forever, they had a Two-Face comic called Crime and Punishment and a Riddler comic called uh, The Riddle Factory. Um, and then around the time of Batman and Robin, they had a Mr. Freeze one, a Poison Ivy one, and then a Bane one, because Bane is, a lot of people forget, but Bane's part of Batman and Robin. Um, and it just happened yeah. to coincide with this. So uh, this is a very different Bane, because this is the original comic book Bane. This is a very different Bane from the Batman and Robin Bane on that. Does he have uh, any lines in Batman and Robin? I forget. He's like, bomb. Bomb. <laughs> He just says bomb a couple times. Oh, yeah. yeah I forgot that's that. it. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude. And his own name. <laughs> and that guy uh, <laughs> died before the movie came out or something? Yeah. Or right yeah, after? I think it was heart failure or something like that. I, I got to look it up. But uh, Possibly, allegedly, maybe was due to steroid abuse, people say. Maybe. It was the venom. <laughs> Yeah, it's the Venom. <clears throat> Potentially. Uh, Zach, I asked your opinion on Roz, but I don't think we really covered uh, our memories of Bane growing up. <laughs> um, well, I did know about Bane from the cartoon before I saw Batman and Robin as a kid, so I had mm-hmm. like a, a pretty good introduction to him. I liked Bane as a kid because, unlike Roz, one, he had a mask, and two, mm-hmm. he had a gimmick. So I was like, oh, that's cool. He's like got a, these like chemicals to pump into him and make him really strong. He still wasn't like my super favorite compared to like the, I guess the psychologically damaged uh, bad guys or mm-hmm. anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did think he was really cool. And I remember seeing the trailer for Batman and Robin and seeing Bane rip up the bat signal and being yeah. super, super hyped as a kid. And yeah. then going into the movie and being like, Oh, <laughs> he's dumb. Like they don't, he doesn't even nothing like in the cartoon or anything. Uh, and but I had a little action funny. figure of him from the movie, and it looked more like the comic book. So yeah, I have that too. That. Yeah, I have that too. There's a cool one where he's like, I have I have a huge collection in my house of action figures. So I've there's a cool one that I never had as a kid that I wish I did. That um, he's like half Poison Ivy and half Mister Freeze. Like he's got half plant stuff on one side of his body and half like Mister Freeze armor. And I'm like, what? Well, I don't even know what this is, but it looks really cool. Huh. I'd have to check that out. I can't. I yeah, don't know that, that one offhand. Yeah, yeah, he's in like a special two pack with like this chrome plated like Batman. Um, I think it's called like Brain Brain versus Brawn or something like that. But yeah, he looks really cool. I, I don't know. Like oh, that never happens in a movie. I wish it did. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, would have been more interesting. I mean, he definitely is the one in Batman Robin is still the most comic accurate, or the closest one to look like the one, even if he doesn't act like it. Uh, in it, uh, but I definitely remember. I had a similar situation as you, Zach. I don't remember if I had seen the cartoon, but I remember I was in a random children's bookstore and um, I saw, oh, there's a Batman book, and it was actually a kids' novelization of Nightfall, uh, and that's what kind of introduced me to the fact that there was a lot more to the Batman story than uh, what I saw in the movies. Because in Nightfall, there's a Tim Drake Robin, Dick Grayson his Nightwing. I didn't even know that at the time. Um, and then I didn't really know who Bane was. I don't think I remember who Bane was at the time. Uh, but I remember being like, okay, this guy's intimidating because of the fact that he he's smart and he's strong. And he um, he can figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman, uh, which was cool. Uh, and then a similar thing of remembering that Bane was in the trailer 
uh, with the bat signal part, uh, especially because those those trailers were amazing because of how much uh, the Elfman music they used in it. So it just really it took you back to like the '89, <laughs> watching '89, especially because they used the finale uh, music to that. It was it was amazing, and I remember hearing it and seeing Bane take it out, and I was just like, oh, this movie's going to be amazing because it's got all these characters. And then later on, it was kind of just like this movie got bogged down by too many characters. <laughs> so many toys. <laughs> uh, Andrew, you pretty much remember him from the cartoon. Was that your earliest memory then? Yeah, the cartoon. I'm pretty much the same as you guys. It mm-hmm. definitely wasn't my favorite, but did like him more than Ra's al Ghul. I mean, it's cool to see a super strong dude. That's a lot of what comics are about. Uh, so, And to have like a kind of like a steroid kind of thing, and the steroid's name is Venom, and that shit is green, and... I think mm-hmm. a lot of that that shit works, man. And to have like somebody like grow before your eyes like that, like that's a cool thing. Like I, if they redo Bane uh, again in in the in the in in live action, it'd be cool to have like a really cool growing effect. Uh, mm. Just you know yeah, what I too. mean? That would be very cool. Uh, make it you know we already had the realistic take pretty much with with Nolan. So let's let's dial it back on the realism and comic book uh, spectrum. Let's let's dial that back to comic book a few notches and have mm-hmm. the, grow, the growing aspect. And then that's, that'd be cool. Um, maybe make the tubes harder to take out. <laughs> I don't know how they do that, but... <laughs> But yeah, I think I think he's a pretty cool villain overall. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I was I was definitely thrown by Tom Hardy's voice in Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll get to that in that deep dive. But uh, if they do Bane again, I definitely like that voice is perfect for the Harley Quinn show because oh, dude, the, so funny, dude, so funny, man. That guy's great. <laughs> my favorite the is of course. Run with Razzy Dazzy. Where's my chair? <laughs> and fucking um oh man Clayface dude he kills me in that show man I oh, man, am an amazing. actor and I can't wait for my next role <laughs> it's similar to my wizard voice which I love so oh man yeah that's yeah. true that's true yeah uh, but yeah as I was saying like it's great for parodies it's great for comedy but in terms of uh, the next Bane interpretation I would prefer a completely different take uh, yeah. on the voice and also this is supposed to be a Hispanic character. Let's get a Hispanic actor to play yeah. the role. He's wearing a goddamn uh, luchador mask, for Christ's sake. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and let him wear the mask. Like, let him wear the mask <laughs> and let him be the Chuck Dixon version who is the smart genius, um, which we obviously didn't get in Batman and Robin. Uh, and then The Dark Knight Rises was a little closer to it, but I think a lot of people were disappointed when it seemed like by the end that Talia was the actual one pulling the strings uh, on that, which isn't really what happens here in the comic and obviously Bane is kind of working with Roz but he definitely has plans to overthrow Roz uh, in this uh, and he's only helping Roz in order to get a little closer to you know pyre up in the organization before he enacts his plans so uh, that's pretty much their take on it but they did stay true at least to the idea of Bane being in love with Talia uh, though in this version Bane and Talia are around the same age as opposed to in the movie where it seems like he's actually a f- secretly a 50 year old man <laughs> But uh, in this yeah, version, yeah. Um, he uh, is—he hears about the explosion on the uh, the yacht, and is that she and Roz are at least believed to be dead. And uh, he ends up washed up on this um, 
I, I don't know what it's called, but it's basically a nuclear power plant that's in the middle of the ocean. Very smart, but that's where that's what it is. Uh, and he decides to adopt the League of Assassin members who survived the the previous thing, and lay waste to Gotham, hold it for ransom using this nuclear bomb. And if that sounds very familiar, that's basically what he did in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, so he announces that, uh, you know, he's like, Gotham, take control of your city. No, he says that he wants the release of the League of Assassins, uh, and he'll turn Batman City into rubble. Uh, and apparently, also, like in the movie, the uh, power plant was originally meant to be an energy source alternative. For, I've brought uh, the nuclear weapon... The nuclear football <laughs> to a football stadium. It works out, doesn't it? He does not go to a football stadium in this version, but he does. Oh, uh, he does adapt an energy source, a nuclear energy source, into trying to turn it into a bomb. Uh, and apparently, Wayne Enterprises was involved with that. So, in terms of the nuclear bomb subplot, that likely came from this comic. Uh, called Batman Bane, uh, but Batman, Robin, and Nightwing go and stop him, and it pretty much goes as what you would expect in terms of, you know, Gotham City is still standing by the end. So uh, that is kind of the weird uh, off-tangent epilogue to the story, uh, but that is Batman Legacy, the sequel to Contagion. So, uh, Andrew, you were part of our Contagion episode, obviously, but yeah. hearing this story and the Contagion one, uh, what are your thoughts on what you've heard? Mm, I think I agree the fact that this one is a little bit more uh it's got it's got a better ending and that <laughs> you know yeah. it, it's it's got to end well man you know like you how many great movies have a terrible ending like you have it's yeah. a lot of great movies have bad beginnings you know mm-hmm. but you have to end well so yeah. so so yeah I think that this one's slightly better um I'm a big fan of Azrael I want to read I've probably read one of his comics before, but I, I definitely want to read more. I, I'm kind of, I, I think I'm becoming more and more of an Asriel fan. And, and anytime you get more of the kind of like occult, occult stuff like that, <laughs> the Order of Dumas, anytime there's like a secret order, I'm fucking down, dude. Like the whole Court of Owls and all that shit too. Like mm-hmm. I like secret orders. I think it's cool. Yeah, Any kind I've of noticed. play on Illuminati <laughs> or something like that, I think it's very cool. So mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, Zach, what did you think? Um, I'm going to have to say, I think I still like Contagion better. Um, even though the ending is better with Legacy, I think I just like to see the way Gotham City deals with, uh, this plague. And Mm -hmm. it seems like the stakes are a little bit higher, even though the ending is kind of convoluted. I remember flipping back through it, seeing that you guys talked about it and I read it, um, I just remember thinking like, oh, it just ended really abruptly. Yeah. It seems like everything was just going and going and going and then like stop. And oh, I guess everything's fixed now. But um, yeah, I even though I like the stories when they're outside of Gotham, I think I still like to wait. I like the way um, to see the way people in Gotham deal with these situations similar to No Man's Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that is the story that comes after this, which we will be covering in another episode, but uh, I, I think I do, uh, I kind of agree with both of you, in a way, um, with Zach, I think, uh, like with Zach, I think that Contagion um, is better in terms of a thematic level, in terms of right, yeah, the emotional that, level yeah. of seeing Gotham, um, but there is something cool about this international Batman story to stop Ra's al Ghul type of thing that, uh, you know, with, with some tweaks and stuff could make a great movie um, if they ever got there uh, in the in the continuity 
wise of it uh, in terms of how they team up and, and if they fleshed out a little bit more of the characters on this. But I think it is, uh, I, I think the best compromise would have been if uh, Contagion and Legacy didn't have that gap in the middle, if it was all part of the same story, if uh, we saw a lot of Gotham's reaction to it and then Batman and Azrael traced it to the Sudanese desert and so you had half the Batman family dealing with the Contagion stuff in Gotham and the rest of the, you know, Batman and everybody stopping Roz in another country. Uh, so you get to keep both elements in there as opposed to uh, having it be separate and all that. So uh, that's, yeah, that's what I thought of it. For anybody who wants to read the full version, especially because there's a lot of stuff that I uh, left out on here, uh, here are the list of issues because just like with Contagion, at least the time of the recording, uh, they have not really collected this on DC Universe. Um, and the trade paperback is a little hard to find. Um, so some of the issues that lead up to it are uh, Catwoman number 33 to 35, uh, Shadow of the Bat 53, and Batman 533. There's also the prequel by Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan, Bane of the Demon, which is four issues uh, that was actually written two years later uh, that's meant to be set beforehand. Um, the crux of the story comes in Detective Comics number 700, then Catwoman 36, Robin 32, Shadow of the Bat 54, Batman 534, Detective Comics 701, Robert 33, <gasps> Detective Comics 702, and then uh, at the end is is the uh, the Batman Bane one shot uh, that I was describing that is kind of the unsung inspiration for uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Everybody one talks could about say it's an unsung hero of this whole <laughs> saga. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, everybody cites Nightfall, everybody cites uh, No Man's Land, everybody cites The Dark Knight Returns, but um, I I see very few people talking about Legacy or Bane of the Demon or Batman Bane, even though that was, a a lot of the plot comes from that as well, Uh, especially with the the League of Shadows type stuff and Bane's association with Roz all comes from that. Uh, I was very well represented in Injustice as well. (laughs) People forget about that one. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, full list of writers are, of course, Chuck Dixon was part of this. I keep mentioning him. Alan Grant, who also wrote the Nightfall novelization that introduced me to Bane and a lot of the aspects of the 90s Batman. Uh, and then Doug Mensch. Uh, full list of artists are Graham Nolan, uh, Jim Balint, Dave Taylor, Jim Aparo, Stabs Johnson, and uh, Rick Burchett did the last one with uh, Bane. Um, and then uh, it kind of inspired some of the DC television stories. I mentioned beforehand in the Contagion one that uh, Gotham Season 3, there was a virus, which uh, the Tetch virus, which is basically Mad Hatter's sister's blood caused people to go insane. Oh, Don't man. ask. Uh, but um, <laughs> Ra's al Ghul and the Court of Owls were behind the release of that and had a brainwashed Bruce Wayne uh, release it in... Uh, Another DC TV show, also in season three, uh, Arrow, Ra's al Ghul, tried to have Oliver uh, claim the mantle of Ra's al Ghul and be his heir, prove that he was his heir by releasing the Alpha Omega virus, which worked in a similar way in that season. Um, Very different in terms of story, but similar premise in terms of releasing a virus to his beloved city. And uh, there was no great explosion on top of yacht or anything like that. There was no real beats that they carried over in either version of these. But I thought that was interesting that uh, on TV, we've seen variations of Roz trying to release some sort of virus or biological warfare on people in two very different versions in live action. 
And uh, that is just about it when it comes to Legacy. So uh, I want to thank Zach again for coming on. And uh, where can people find you online, Zach? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Zachary Jackson Brown Art. Um, I think that's about it. My website is the exact same thing, just my full name uh, with art at the end, .com. Was your par- your parents were into Jackson Brown, the uh, singer-songwriter from the 70s? God, yes. My mom told me my <laughs> name was originally going to be Jackson. And she's yeah. like, oh, no, I didn't want to name you after, you after a musician that none of your other little childhood friends would ever know who that is, so it doesn't matter anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Doc, Doctor My Eyes or whatever is one of the best songs ever. Yeah, <laughs> you probably heard that a million times, but yep. But uh, it it is a good one. So uh, that's cool, man. I was wondering that. Nice. Um, and then you can also follow us on Instagram. That's how Zach found us. Uh, we are at Superhouse Pod, as well as on Twitter, uh, with the same handle. Uh, you can find me on Instagram as well, on Ben Juan Writer. Uh, we want to do social media shout-outs to people who are followers of both Superhouse Pod and Zachary Jackson Brown Art. Uh, I took a look and did some detective work before the recording. Uh, but shout-outs go to The Animated Batman, Gotham Dark Fox Love 8, Batman's Trophy Room, Enigmatic Galaxies, Art by Colin, Batman Night Fan, who's also left us some cool comments on YouTube, uh, Cult of the Batman, Bat Force Tom, Mitch the One Soul, and Paul Gabriel. So we have a lot of common fans. Nice. Cool. Yeah, I recognize uh, a lot of those names. <laughs> yeah. uh, over to Andrew. All right, everybody, I'd like you to uh, join the Shasta Army on our Patreon. It's still at Superhouse, so it's patreon.com slash superhousepodcast. We might change the name eventually, but we're still in some uh, transition period, as it were. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to Kuki Noms, Matt Herring, and Elijah B. I'd like everybody to please leave us a review on iTunes. It does bring up our visibility, so that would be awesome if you could do that. Even like one sentence would be great. Um, yeah, um, if you uh, listen to us on iTunes there, um, Spotify is great as well. Um, and then uh, if you could just take out your phone and uh, record us a little phone bumper like, I love superhero stuff you should know, or you're not listening to superhero stuff you should know, or anything like that. That would be awesome. Uh, and then uh, you do that in the voice recorder app on your phone, and then you can share that to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. And uh, you, too, can be part of the podcast. You've probably seen us. You've probably listened to some of these already, and uh, you, too, can do that as well, all on your phone. So, uh it's easy. And then um, <laughs> I am Thunderwolf Drew on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, Ben caters the Superhouse Pod Instagram mainly. Right, Ben? That's correct. <laughs> as well as Twitter, where we uh, are, we uh, love to interact with a lot of you guys on there. So either way, either on Instagram or Twitter uh, or even Facebook. Let's mention the yes, Facebook group. Yes, we have. We just started that as well. The Facebook group. We still do the Facebook page as well. There's so many social media things at this point, but we're doing them all. And uh, we are also on YouTube. I have a lot of great success on YouTube lately, which has been awesome. Thanks for everybody that has joined us recently with us sharing to the Facebook groups on that. We share our YouTube pages, our YouTube episodes. Uh, 
on Facebook groups lately a lot, and that's been very helpful. But we have a lot of YouTube-only com- uh, content there. We're going to continue to do that. Um, side tangent here, but if you could check out the uh, Comparing Scandinavia to Japan video on the Thunderwolf Live, or you can spell it Thunderwolf Lives as well. You can find it there. And uh, it's a little, it's basically a Skype call that I recorded during quarantine, but we have some pretty cool cultural info there. And uh, I think that's about it. This is Andrew signing off. This is Ben signing off. And this is Zach signing off. Thanks for having me. Doctor, my eyes.